Okay, folks, find uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We'll read just one verse, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 16, and then we're going to talk about giving. Uh, let's, let's read together now concerning the collection for the saints as I directed the churches of Galatia. So you also are to do. Let's pray. Father God, I adore you and I thank you, Father God, for the opportunity to come and to share on this matter. Father God, I pray, Lord, that I preach it rightly, God, that I'm not that I don't uh, turn my back on it, Father God, that I don't try to soften the blow of it, Father God. At the same time, Father, I pray, God, that I don't come into this pulpit and do what I know I've done in the past, Father God, and just allow my frustrations to take over, Father God, because I'm not frustrated with this, God. I just know, Lord, that you have a plan, and I know, God, that I've been neglectful of really searching out your plan for this, of really coming in and preaching in the presence of this people, Father God, something that can truly transform their lives, God. I know you will do this, God. I know, God, that this is an important thing to say today. I know, God, over the next a month, God, as we talk about this, I know it's important that we do it. And I pray, Father God, that now that we... Put aside every difference that we open our hearts and our minds, Father God, to the Word. Give me uh, fluidity, Father God, and flexibility and the ability, God, just to speak beyond even my preparation. Because I've prayed and I've worried, God, and I've stressed over this. And I pray, Father God, that you give my heart peace now as I come in and I reveal, God, what you've shared with me, Father. I love you, God, and I thank you and I praise you, God, and I ask you, please, God, that the cross shows through this. Because more than anything else, Father God, everything that we talk about and everything that has ramifications in the church, Father, is always about the gospel. Lord, we love you. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Now, come to talk about giving to the, the faithful few in the middle of, of the whatever we got left over of a hurricane. But talk about giving. It is important that we talk about it. And um, I want to say this first. In church, especially in Southern Baptist churches, when do we talk about giving? When we're broke. When we're broke. We're not broke. We're not exactly swimming in cash. But we're not broke either. Okay? So you can, you can relax a little bit. Um, I want you to understand this. As we talk over the next, including this, it'll probably be about five weeks, um, it's going to be uh, at times kind of intense, and sometimes it's going to be at times kind of Bible study-ish. There's some things we need to learn. One of the issues I think we have is that we've learned some things the wrong way, but we've learned some things the wrong way for every right reason. For every right reason. None of the things that we believe that really don't line up with what the Scripture says, we learned because somebody was trying to get over one on us. For the greatest reason in the world, the worldwide sharing of the gospel, that's why we learned what we've learned about giving within the Southern Baptist Church. The problem is along the way we've learned some bad things. Now, what I want to do is this. is before you start to learn some new bad things from me, I want to head off what you might... Walk away thinking, because somebody will think this stuff. First thing I'm not saying is, you can give as much as you want to give and God doesn't care. That's not what I'm saying. When we reach that part of this Bible study, remember I said, that's not what I'm saying. Okay? That's not it. In fact, for those of us who feel that we must, down to the penny, monetarily calculate the tithe in our life, I almost guarantee that we're all doing it wrong. It's probably more like twice 10%, by the way. 
Somewhere between 22 and 25% is probably more accurate. If you're going to go back to the Old Testament and be legalistic about it and calculate the tithe. We'll talk about where the tithe came from here shortly. Now what I don't mean is the Old Testament tithe. I mean the Southern Baptist tithe. Okay, this is what I really mean. This is the Southern Baptist tithe. Which actually in our convention, this is about 100 years old. Just about 100 years old. Which makes it ancient compared to us. But just a snap in comparison to the gospel, right? And the church. So I'm not saying that. The other thing I'm not saying is that money is not the object. Um, I've heard a lot this one. Two things. In budget meetings, from the mouths of old men. Almost always from the mouths of old men. You know, God doesn't need your money. What he means is, God don't need his money because his money stays in his pocket. That's what he really means. Okay. Or, a friend of mine who taught with me used to say this all the time. You know, I think the tithe can be your time or whatever. And what she really meant was, she wasn't going to pay that 10%. But she acknowledged it could be in something else. But she didn't do anything in the church either because I went to church with her. So I'm like, one way or the other, God gets stiff, sweetheart. It's either money or time, and you're not giving either one. And I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you can do whatever you want with your money, and that money's not, not the object. And um, I'm also not saying that faithful Christian giving doesn't hurt. doesn't hurt. It's not sacrificial. In fact, I think if there's one true problem we have with the way we think about giving is the 10% rule. And I'll tell you why the 10% rule is so bad. Because it's flat and not progressive. Okay, i got two guys sitting in church. We're real fast. Two guys sitting in church. Right by each other. One makes a million dollars a year. The other makes $30,000 a year. They both give 10%. Sure, the millionaire's given $100,000 a year. And the uh, guy making thirty grand is giving $3,000 a year. But now the guy making thirty grand gets to live off of how much? Twenty-seven thousand. The millionaire gets to live off how much? Nine hundred thousand. Now I know that's not counting in things like federal taxes and state taxes, all these kind of things. But the idea that somehow the millionaire could get away with giving a pittance of what he makes, and the poor guy had to give such a sacrificial amount, is ridiculous. And I might say this: it's biblically ridiculous. It's part of the reason why we've had such a shoddy, um, such a shoddy track record of teaching and preaching and enforcing the tithe. So what we want to do is realign this with true biblical principles. And like I said, sometimes it's going to hurt. It's not always going to be the most fun thing in the world. I've got four points. I need to get them as quickly as possible because I'm on the clock for sure. First one, uh, not merely a goal to be achieved. Financial giving is a matter of holiness. First and foremost, if if you're a believer in this room and you walk out of this room thinking anything other than Your financial giving is a matter of your holiness. You have misunderstood what I've come here to say today. If you are not faithfully giving, you're indulging in sinful, wicked, and unholy behavior. Now, part of the problem with the tithe is in the Southern Baptist Church is we've really never taught it that way. We've never said that. Two things that we should have really emphasized, we've always de-emphasized. In a Southern Baptist church, you can leave for good reason, bad reason, or no reason at all. There's no such thing as a covenant. And nobody will argue with you. 
And that's biblically ridiculous. It's biblically ridiculous to be able to take your ball and go home in a Southern Baptist church and that there's no penalty. I'll be honest with you. I'm afraid there are a whole lot of consumers out there that are really revealing the content of their hearts when they do that. What they're really showing is that they have no honor for the covenant because they're not part of the covenant. And the other one is the idea that somehow tithing was a personal decision and if you didn't want to carry your load, well, that was just up to every person. Hey, I've been in the pastorate for more than 20 years. We've always had an unwritten rule. You don't look. You don't know what, guy, what people give. I'll be quite blunt with you. We probably ought to have to publish it. Because there's some people out there being incredibly sinful with their money and getting away with it scot-free. And nobody knows. Because we think it's not anybody's business. The reality is, if you're in a covenant relationship with the church, it's everybody's business. Now, I'm not saying we're going to go ahead and do that. I'm not even proposing that. I'm just telling you this much. We shouldn't let people get away with flaunting God's word. That's not the business we're in, is it? Never the business that we're in. So why should we give? Because the church needs the money? No. God's faithful. And He's always met our needs. That is something that we, in leadership here, can absolutely declare. Just when we thought we weren't going to make it, guess what? We did. Every time. But now, Miss Pansy looks at me and, 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 and grins like that. But the reality is, Miss Pansy, it'll happen next week and we'll feel the same way over again, won't we? We'll think the whole Joe will think the world is crashing down around us all over again and he'll be good all over again, buddy. All over again, because he always is. We don't need to give because God needs the money. God's faithful, he always meets our needs. To the contrary, we need giving more than we need to be involved in giving more than the church needs to receive. We as individual believers need giving. Giving is for us and not for the church. Giving doesn't enrich the church. The church is everything God needs it to have. Giving's for you. If you're not giving, you're cheating yourself. The very first stop when we finally get, this is just introduction today. The very first stop next week is going to be on the fact that giving is literally an act of grace and that every believer needs the act of grace. Every believer needs it. And to fail to meet the Bible's expectations concerning tithing is to sin egregiously. It is a real sin, folks. There are people I know, I have sat on budget committees with who were not tithing and they were literally flaunting God. They were making, I can't think of any other better way to say it, they were making an obscene gesture in the face of the living God. They were saying to God, God, you don't matter. I don't care what you think. We wouldn't do that in any other aspect of our lives, would we? Nothing else in our life will we walk out there and say, well, God just doesn't care about this. If we know the Bible talks about it, we understand at least we ought to be ashamed for doing it. But there simply is no shame in this. Look, despite the fact that we preached as a convention faithfully concerning tithing for nearly 100 years, why do we do it? For the purpose of supporting home and foreign missions. The reason why, until about 100 years ago, Southern Baptists didn't talk about tithing very much. We didn't preach about tithing very much, and we almost never wrote about it. We didn't sing about it. We started to really preach and talk about tithing in the 1920s. Why? Because we started the cooperative program. And the cooperative program was designed to support home and foreign missions. 
That's why we did it. Our purpose clearly stated as a convention in adopting the idea of tithing is why? So we can get the gospel around the globe. Once again, I said, we may have miscalculated the tithe, but we did it for every good reason, for the gospel. Because deep down, tithing, giving, is a gospel issue. If we do not give, if we do not tithe as we are, we hold the truth back. Unfortunately, many members do not correct, correlate failure to give with sinfulness. At least not the same sinfulness that we would normally regard as wicked. We may think it's wrong, we just don't think it's the same thing as cheating on your wife. We don't think it's the same thing as looking at pornography. We don't think it's the same thing as drunkenness. I'm here to tell you, if you're going to cheat God biblically, it's the same thing. If you're going to cheat God biblically, it's the same thing as being in total rebellion against Him. The same thing. Look, I have no choice but to believe that deliberate failure to willingly and cheerfully give is a betrayal, a violation of God's law, and an act which leads to unholiness in our lives. And folks, if we have unholiness in our lives, we're going to suffer for it. Consider Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 7.1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. That's part of our quest. We want to be more and more and more holy. If you are a Christian believer in this room at this moment, your ultimate desire is to look more like Jesus, to be more holy. And without giving, I'll never look like Him. Without faithfulness in giving, I can never hope to achieve it. And what's so sad is, it's not some addiction I have to give up. At all. It means so much. And it's not hard. Or as as the writer of Hebrews said, Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Maiming truth. By rationalizing it. I think that's what Southern Baptists are the best at. If we don't want to do it, we find some way to tap dance around it. Maiming truth by rationalizing it. To the extent that we can do as we see fit with our financial resources, when the scriptures clearly teach differently, is a clear path to shipwrecked faith. I believe More often not in the Southern Baptist Church, there were men and women that I met who were never going to be who they should be in Christ and were going to have a faith that, to be honest with you, was a shameful faith, did so because they simply could not accept what God taught about giving. Could not accept it. They refused. They thought differently and they would never change their mind. I believe that stinginess and financial unfaithfulness dooms not our churches. Do you understand this? This church is not doomed by my stinginess or your stinginess. By my unfaithfulness or your unfaithfulness. But what is doomed? Our families, individuals in the church today. We hurt ourselves with this issue. If we're unwilling to financially surrender this aspect, to faithfully surrender this aspect of our lives to Christ, then we face a future of unholiness, wickedness, and dissatisfaction with the power of God in our lives. We're holding everything back that God can do because we simply won't do with our finances what God wants us to do. And we have every reason to understand. The illustration I used to use back in the day was this. It's not true anymore. You guys remember the little red weenies? Anybody still eat the little red weenies? 
Yeah, I know they're gross, but we still eat them. I mean, they're disgusting, but we still eat them. Um, how many little red weenies come in a pack? Ten. How many buns come in a pack? Eight. They don't match. They don't match. So we've got to buy a whole bunch of buns and a whole bunch of weenies just to make the, the numbers agree. And buns, did back, back in the day when I was a kid, buns didn't last very long. They wouldn't last until you got back to the store to buy another pack. So you inevitably either threw weenies away or threw buns away. I think there are a lot of people in this room right now, not a lot of people, a lot of people in this church, I'm going to go broader, in the church, Let's not talk about just who's here, but who's supposed to be here. In the church, who suffer all the time. Because to be honest with you, their buns and their weenies just don't match. You know why they don't match? Because they're never going to match. They can't match because they are handling their things the wrong way. Simply the wrong way. Is that making y'all laugh? Childish. So childish. I expected that from this side, but never this side. This is the good side. This is the mature side. Y'all are fired. Immature. Mature. Mature. See, Joe's got his side over here. Buddy, you got to get shape, man. Sorry, man. Joe's got his. They're under control. You just go along. I know, man. I know. I know. I understand. So, let's talk about how to make these decisions. Um, first off, next point. More than one financial giving system exists within the Scriptures. What, the way I'm going to talk about it is um, New Testament, Old Testament. And what I believe is this, what I firmly believe is this. If you're one of those people with one of those minds who wants to dig into the Scriptures, means, and we'll, and we'll, and we'll chase down every, every ground ball, run out of every ground ball with it, you'll come up with a very manageable figure for the tithe, won't you, Brian? Okay. John MacArthur is another one of those guys, more famously, who does that. Take it from the Old Testament. I, on the other hand, I know Miss Diane talks every time I say this. I grew up Missionary Baptist Church. Um, the two problems I had with the Southern Baptist Church when it came to it was one, we played all the songs the wrong way. So stuff you're supposed to play, play slow, we played fast. But stuff you're supposed to play fast, we played, played slow. That was my first complaint. And my second complaint was I didn't know what a tithe was. Because I grew up a free will Baptist, I never heard that term before. I had to look it up in the dictionary to find out what it meant. They didn't teach it. Didn't have a cooperative program. Didn't need it. They were New Testament givers, and they proudly declared New Testament givers. I'm going to tell you, if you follow Paul's teachings just in the New Testament, you will arrive at a place that's not going to look very much different than where Brian would calculate using the old. What I'm talking about today is not the system that you use, but the philosophy behind your system. Because I believe there are people out there writing checks for 10% that are dishonoring God by writing a check for 10%. Okay? Dishonoring God. On paper, it looks like they're doing everything they're supposed to do. But because their philosophy, Brother Joe, is bad, it's always corrupted. And we know those people, to be honest with you. They're the kind of people who write you a check and tell you what to do with it. You can have their money, but you got to spend, spend it where they say to. Okay? The philosophy's wrong. The philosophy reveals a corrupted heart. So, so as, as we look at that, as we look at that, what we're looking for is philosophy. As a philosophy, I will focus on the New Testament teaching on substantive financial giving. Now, that's what I'm going to lay out for you, not the Old Testament. I will talk, refer to it some. 
At the same time, I believe that we can practice Old Testament ideas with a New Testament mindset. The systems are not compatible, are compatible, excuse me, but they're not identical. That's what I meant to say in the notes. They're compatible, but not necessarily identical. And there, there are three ways in which I see specifically they're different. One, the Old Testament system of tithing was based on an agrarian culture with very few economic pressures. It's one of those things that we've talked about in here before uh, as, a, as a kind of, you know, illustrate this just a little bit. Um, we talk about people in these foreign countries being so overwhelmingly poor, like go down to Haiti and, and Mike, they look so poor. But the reality is, while they are poor, they're under very little economic pressure. Um, nobody in Haiti, or hardly anybody in Haiti, pays rent or insurance or a house note or a car note. Who does all that? We do. Even the rich people in our midst, if there are any, have a lot of experience with this, right? In an agrarian system where you own the land, you literally derive everything you have from the land, there's very little economic pressure. You're not paying outside of it. For the ancient Israelites, the land was theirs. The fruit was theirs. They took their ties to the storehouse faithfully, but everything that was left over, they kept all right. So we understand once we're an agrarian system with very few economic pressures, not a modern urban culture loaded with economic responsibility. That's us. That's us. In the New Testament, the tithe had transformed from harvest, because initially the tithe is about the harvest, right, to a money-based exchange, plugging the people into a more modern economy for an urban people in Jerusalem. Look, both were motivated by the desire to unlock the blessings of God for the covenant people. Understand, this is how they, that's how they contrasted. This is how they are the same. Both are about God's blessings. The, uh, the words of the prophet Micah, excuse me, prophet Malachi and Malachi 3.10 are true for then and true for now. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that so there may be food in my house. And therefore put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. Spiritual and monetary faithfulness is the goal of both systems. Both systems want to be faithful to God. While God promises to pour down blessings, remember that today, if you are faithfully giving back to God that which is rightfully His, you stand to inherit blessings. They may not be as you desire for them to be, but they are faithfully given by God. At the same time, we must acknowledge that if He can bless, He can also withhold if we are faithless. Hence the issue. The first issue with giving is that there are a lot of people who are literally cheating themselves. Hurting themselves. Two, the Old Testament system was designed to meet the needs of the Levites. Priests and church servants who were denied lands in the partitioning of Israel and were supported by the tithing system. When, uh, when Israel was divided, when the lands were given out, the tribe of Levi was denied lands. They were given cities, but they were denied lands because they were to be supported by the tithing system. Literally, the tithe belonged to the Levite. In my uh, Missionary Baptist church growing up, such free will givers... I've never, it's the most astounding thing I've ever seen. I'll never get those men taking that money, Joe, and they didn't count it. 
they would take a roll of cash, they would choke a mule, and they would pull off of it enough bills to pay whatever they had to pay that month. And we didn't owe anything. Light bill, water bill. And they gave the rest of it to the pastor. Put it in his hand. Now, I'm a, don't, don't do that. I neither want that, that responsibility nor anything else that goes with it. But they had totally misunderstood that. Because he wasn't a Levite. He had a job on the outside. He was easily meeting his own needs. They had misunderstood because in the New Testament church, the revenue is for the gospel. Look, Paul lists giving as one of the differing graces seen in Romans 12. And he says in Romans 12, 8, the one who contributes in generosity. So that God has spoken of this idea in which when you're going to give back to God, one of those deciding factors for you is, is it generous? Am I, going, am I being generous? The New Testament system is the beginning of the modern church and its emphasis on reaching the nations with the gospel through faithful and grace-filled giving. Giving's at the heart of this, guys. You can't have the church without giving. Three, Old Testament giving functioned exactly like a tax. In the New Testament, it's called the temple tax. In Matthew 17, verse 24, and was focused on obedience to the law and responsibility. It was absolutely taught that way. Be obedient and be responsible. New Testament giving appears to have as its goal this Pauline inclusion of every aspect of the believer's life in the gospel ministry. Say so one thing about Paul, he had given his, his social life, his romantic life, everything by Paul given over for what? The gospel. You lose yourself in the gospel. Your family is a gospel entity. Your money, gospel resources. Now, how do we explain that last one? Point three, the distribution of financial resources around the world was the springboard with which the gospel was taken to the nations. If you go look at the missionary journeys of Paul, a significant portion of them began with a mission to take money somewhere or go there and get money and bring it back. The idea of giving for the needs of others was part of what God used to spread the gospel. Paul's life and ministry modeled this idea that money was a resource to be used for the mediation of suffering, the encouragement of the churches, and for gospel witness. That's absolutely right. Even as we give here in our tithes and offering, offerings, the idea that God has for us is that money might, be, might go somewhere to ease the suffering of someone else. And we do that all the time, don't we? It might be used to go and encourage the churches. Hey guys, I've been there. In foreign missions, when we would go and either we would leave money that we brought with a mission trip, or we'd literally empty our pockets to leave money with pastors, wouldn't we, Brian? Or buy food, Kyle, and leave it there behind. Why don't we do that? To encourage the churches in places where they need to be encouraged. It just so happens that in the New Testament, the way we look at it in the New Testament, every place else was rich, and where it started, Jerusalem was where it was poor. All the provinces are sending money back to Jerusalem. Jesus comes from Jerusalem. But they're sending money back there. It's just a reverse of where we are now. 
In Acts 20, Paul is preparing to return to Jerusalem for two purposes. To bring money to the poor and to face the future of pain and suffering for the gospel. Paul knows he's bringing that back and it's going to cost him something. Part of his mission is made possible because he's got to bring this money back. The two matters are intertwined in the scriptures. And both are the revelation, the will of God for Paul. Paul is going to go and take that money because it's faithful. And Paul's also going to experience suffering. Paul's words in Acts 20 uh, 22 through 23, the Amplified. Um, and now compelled by the Spirit and obligated by my convictions. So guys, when we give and when we go, we are obligated by conviction. We are compelled by the Spirit. If there's one problem that I have deeply, Ms. Diane, most of all with the tithe, is the fact that we made the tithe unspiritual. It's a matter of the calculator and not of prayer in the heart. You don't even think about it. We don't think about, we're not supposed, in fact, we say that, don't think about where it goes. Don't think about how it's used. No, think about how great God will spread the gospel with your $10 when $10 was your tithe. How God will take $50 from a grandma and do amazing things with it. The problem we have with the tithe is we so cut the heart off from it, it's become taxes and not an act of grace. I am going to Jerusalem, he says, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly and emphatically affirms to me in city after city that imprisonment and suffering await me. Part of that going and taking that money was the idea that Paul knew he was going to go and suffer. They were together in the Scriptures. The Lord using financial blessings for the poor to motivate Paul's travels is just simply not new. In Romans 15 verse 26, Paul writes from Corinth, he says, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Do you remember what was so outstanding about the Macedonian church? They were poor and they gave generously. Paul's lording over the Corinthian church that's super rich what the Macedonians are doing in their poverty. In their poverty. The Macedonians gave sacrificially. The Corinthians gave not at all. And who was cursed by God and who was embraced by God? Who was judged by God and who was lauded by God? While he relates that they were pleased to give, Paul does not accept that they deserve a medal for their efforts. Look at what he says in verse 27. For they were pleased to do it and indeed They owe it to them, for the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings. They ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. In terms of the evidence that Paul provides in Romans, we can understand that giving is not voluntary, but mandatory, because the debt is owed. Do you understand that? It's not whether I want to do it. It is, what is God commanding me to give? What is God leading my heart to give? Because He does not allow us any other path forward, because we owe a debt of the gospel. We give because we owe. You don't pay the bank when you owe them money because you like them, do you? You pay the bank because you owe them. Because you have an obligation. There is at the heart of this a legal obligation to God. Don't get away from that. Is it spiritual? Absolutely. It's an act of grace beyond a shadow of a doubt. But it is obligation. There is no doubt in that. We are under obligation. The deficit of the truth 
uh, the gospel message freely given to men and women brings with it a promissory note of moral and financial obligation which requires that men and women participate in all ways in the work of the gospel. You are servants, doulos, bound to the work of Christ. Bound to it. And I think it's summarized best by a single phrase from Paul which is understood through the entire witness of the Scriptures. He writes in Galatians 2.10 where he says, Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now once again, it's context. The, the poor he's talking about are the poor in the church in Jerusalem, there's no doubt. The poor referred to those. However, the elimination of spiritual poverty is the ultimate goal of the gospel. As our Lord tells us in Luke 12, 32-34, Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. To remember the poor is to faithfully complete the words of Christ. But to concentrate only on possessions is to deny them the eternal blessings of the truth. We don't go out in the world to just spread your money around. We aren't communists. We go out in the world armed at times with your money for one reason, one reason only, so we can give the gospel. We pay for little girls to go around the world because the world's dying. Because the world is dying. And if they don't hear, they will, they will perish and we will be held responsible. We are held responsible. Not just ourselves, but for all that we meet, the gospel is life eternal. The elimination of suffering now is nothing in comparison to the offering of everlasting life. Digging a water well to build a house is not compared to building the kingdom of God in a person. Look, finally, giving is a gospel issue. And we give so that the church can take infinite life to the world. Giving is the vehicle by which everyone will learn of the greatness of Jesus. If we stop giving, the gospel stops going. If we stop giving, the gospel stops being preached and witnessed to. Paul describes the benefit of the gospel of Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4. He says, For deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. At this moment, as we close, the gospel and not money is the central idea about which we speak. What is given is what has been received. The tithe is a portion of the truth which saved us all. If you have never heard it or dared believe it, listen. Christ died for your sins in agreement with the Bible. He was buried but rose from the dead to fulfill His promise to the world. Now your life hangs in the balance. Believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. We all give today so that someone, anyone, as undeserving as we are, can hear this truth, believe it, and be born again. And that person could very well be in this room today. Let's pray. Father, I love and adore You. I thank You for the opportunity to come and to preach Your Word and to pray, Father God, that I've done it rightly. Father God, I pray, God, that, that it's received rightly, God, it's heard, and it's believed, Father. And I pray, Father God, for this next month, that you will do a work in us, Father God, first and foremost, through giving, but that it's always a gospel work. Lord, I love you. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.